0: Hey guys, welcome to Clark Talks, the Columbians podcast where we bring you the stories and views behind the news. I'm Katie Gillespie.
1: And I'm Damian Pizanti. So this week we are going to do a little bit of a recap and maybe a little look forward on the high drama of Clark County lately.
0: Yeah, uh, the otherwise pretty sleepy Clark County Council voted on Friday to dismiss uh, County Manager Mark McCauley, which was a, a kind of
1: shocking moment.
0: Yeah, really far out of left field. Um, and I mean, I um, I haven't covered Clark County for several months, so I'm not as in it as much as Jake is, but I did not see that coming at all.
1: I don't think anybody did.
0: Yeah, so uh, Jake is going to come on and talk a little bit about what happened on Friday and what the path forward is uh, now
1: for the council. And then we're going to talk with our new food writer, right? Yep.
0: Then we're going to bring Rachel Pinsky back in. Uh, you first met her a couple of weeks ago, and she's going to talk a little bit about the an article that she has coming out on Sunday trying every pho that Vancouver has to offer. Dude,
1: this lady tried 13 different pho in one in, like, what, like a week or something Oh, like
0: no, no, no. It was over oh, it several months. Yeah. Oh, thank God. Yeah.
1: I was, cause as we were talking to her, I was like, dear God, like, I couldn't imagine eating that much pho in like, lunch like and 10 dinner. days. No. Kill me. No. Please. Huh. But anyway yeah she man she tried it all so you don't have to and then in fact you can use her knowledge to go find the best places in town to have some fun.
0: yeah so she'll talk to us a little bit about that um and then we'll bring in ashley swanson to give us a look at the weekend ahead it's supposed to be sunny this weekend so fingers crossed but
1: well, yeah stay tuned
0: All right, so we've got uh, county reporter Jake Thomas back with us uh, to talk about some of the crazy going on at Clark County here over the last week. So thanks for coming in again, Jake.
2: You're very welcome.
0: So um, if you haven't been following the the latest news out of Clark County, um, the county council on Friday uh, held a special meeting to um, dismiss uh, county manager Mark McCauley, which seemed like that was really out of left field to me. I don't know what your impression was, but...
2: It, it caught me off guard. I, I know that the, the county council in board time meetings and elsewhere, they had talked about how uh, Mark McCauley was going to have a performance review. Uh, it had been referenced several times in board time. They had the performance review. So the performance review is not an
1: out-of-the-ordinary thing for somebody in his position, right? It's very like, routine. Yeah, I mean, this happens at
2: least once a year. Yeah, it happens once a year, and... so it's yes, yeah, so it's very routine.
0: Well, and they're supposed to give him—they're supposed to give him six months' notice. On whether or not they're going to continue his contract, right? Right. Okay. And
2: so that would have been in June was the deadline for them to do that.
0: So why did they hustle to do it now?
2: Uh, well, Mark—I asked Mark Bold about that. He's the chair of the council. He said that there's going to be two members of the council who are going to be out this week, and then that would only leave one—one uh, one week left in May. And they just wanted to get it over with and not wait until in June because they might get busy. But they just wanted to get it done with and. Uh, that, that's the impression I got from Mark Bolt. Huh. So you don't think the the
1: reason why they wanted to get it done now is because they were raring to get him out the door, but rather just to get this done and get the review done now? Do you know what I'm saying?
2: Right. Well, they finished the review. The review was finished and on uh, at the board time um, meeting um, on the Wednesday prior to the Friday where they ousted Mark McCauley. They did discuss his performance uh, evaluation in um, in executive session. Uh, they did, and so that's what I think they made the decision, and, and Mark McCauley essentially confirmed this, that they did make the decision in executive, executive session that they would not be extending his contract.
0: And then had to, of course, go into open session to do that officially right. so um are, are you going to get a copy of the performance review is that going to be publicly available or well
2: i've requested a copy of his most recent um performance review i don't think much is going to come out of it i've requested these before uh, and they I'm, come
0: back totally redacted they
2: come back totally. i got the one from don benton I, I got his performance review it came back completely redacted
1: hmm. So if we can, let's uh, talk a little bit about maybe the rise and fall of Mr. McCulley, because he he's the I guess he's now the first uh, official city or first official county manager under the new charter. Right. I mean, how did he do out the gate? And was this something that looking down the road or like looking back over your shoulder now you see that, you know, he was gradually losing the confidence of the commission? Or is it one of those things that just is a total shocker and he seemed to be doing a good job up until this point and they just said, get him the hell out of here?
2: Well, there were, there were a few incidents where I could tell that the, there was some frustration with Macaulay, notably from Jeannie Stewart, really only from her, where she made some remarks in some meetings, and uh, she even, le- the the microphone was on after a work session, and she made some remarks uh, that it wasn't quite, it wasn't very audible, but you could tell that she was not happy with Macaulay.
0: Yeah, it was something to the degree of, <clears throat> of this is something that we can't let Mark Macaulay be involved in, or something, or, or something like that. Right,
2: because during that work session, they had referenced one, you have their own policy analysts that were uh, one or two of these positions that would be directly accountable to them,
0: which is is what Axel Swanson was and Peter Silliman was for for those who were familiar with.
2: Right, but I'm not sure how the with the charter how that would work because it's it sounds like the the council sets policy, but and the manager reports directly to the council. So I don't know how they could have another position that would report directly to them and bypass, in effect, the county manager.
1: Yeah, I mean, just having a <laughs> Having a policy analyst like that really seems to, I, I don't know, just at face value to me sounds like one, you don't entirely trust the guy you hired to do the job, and then two, uh, maybe you don't trust your own analysis of the policy that you're setting forth. I don't know, but that's, uh, that is a very rare situation for, from my experience of covering government.
2: Well, I mean, it does, On some level, it does, I did kind of see where they're coming from because the, the county manager has a lot of authority and the council is really, all they do is just set policy. They take votes, they can introduce resolutions, but a lot of, um, uh, it seemed like a lot of the muscle is really in county staff. Like they don't, I just remember when I think about, it, I used to cover Spokane City Hall, which has a strong mayor form of government and a city council and all the city council members, they had a legislative assistant who would help them with research, help them with uh, all all the things that. City members of city council do, and mm-hmm. that that legislative assistant is directly accountable to that member of city council. Yeah. And there's really nothing parallel to that in in the county manate, uh, manager form of government at Clark County. Gotcha.
1: Can you guys talk a little bit about how? Uh, How McCully did when he came into office and what like sort of what the atmosphere was like and maybe how things played out uh, leading up to this moment.
0: I think as long as I was covering county government, uh, Macaulay seemed, I mean, the general feeling toward him by the council very much changed based, based on the political circumstances. So he was in that acting county manager, county administrator role as the as the county was going from the previous form of government to the charter form of government um, and I mean he was he was pretty much universally adored by the council. He was, he was, you know, praised excessively by the counselors at the time. Um, and then with the, uh, uh challenges with the County comprehensive plan, that's when you really began to see a shift where you had counselor, David Medore, who was kind of overstepping his bounds, creating his own growth plan and a, um, county staff that were resistant to that and had, had concerns about that. Um, and that's really where you started seeing this tension. Um, I mean it was just a year ago, almost exactly that, that Medor um, and uh, former counsellor Tom Milkey were really gunning to see a different, um, to see a different county manager brought in and these three counselors who were still on the board, Jeannie Stewart, Julie Olson, and Mark Bolt, um, really defended uh mark mccauley and and really came to ta- came to his aid and said no like we want this guy we want this guy to stay in you know he's he's been with us through some tough times he's done a good job steering the ship you know we want to see him continuing to to lead in that role so it's a it's kind of a complete 180 from where they were just a year ago
1: Jake, in your experience covering this so far, do you think that the um, the county growth plan was this uh, like a big decisive moment in the way that the council began to view them?
2: Um, from what I can tell, the, the growth plan was a really significant event. Because, you know, David Medore, he, he came up with his own alternative for – and he uh, also – Uh, clashed with county planning staff on on it and so it seemed like that was a real watershed moment for the county um and there was a lot of accusations and there's lawyers and long long history about that um so yeah i think that that did um uh change some things or or really heightened some tensions at the county so
1: i mean answer this if you guys can or if you cannot or don't if you can't obviously but uh what about that whole um Skirmish. I don't know what else to call it, aside from a skirmish. Uh, what about that so affected the council's view of the manager that they had hired? What did he do that you think made them displeased?
0: I think that was really where we started seeing this tension that was created as a function of the fact that we had a new form of government. You had Councilor Medor who believed that it was his responsibility to as to his his constituents to develop a what he believed to be a policy to to help them and protect you know whatever it was he thought alternative four was going to do for do for people in rural Clark County. And then you had count the county manager who ultimately knew that that wasn't that that wasn't his responsibility, that that wasn't his and and had to protect county staff in that process. So you had, um, you know, county staff who reported being harassed and who were frustrated with with Councilor Mador and you had their supervisor in Mark McCauley, who who was sort of speaking for staff. And, and speaking from a place of wanting to, to protect staff and enable them to do their jobs as county planners, and then the tension of David Medore believing that he was creating a policy, doing what he believed that he should be doing. And so you just saw this tension there,
1: I think, from the two of them. But, I mean, it's worth pointing out that Medore and Milky aren't there anymore. No. And they didn't have any vote in getting him kicked off. And then, like you said earlier, those other three counselors like, stood up for him when Medore was trying to... Pull some more of those moves. That, so that's what? Why,
2: what gives now? Uh, that's what I found so surprising is because it was clear that you know there's no secret that Tom Milke and Dave Medor did not get along with Mark McCauley, did not get along with the majority of the council, and I really got the sense that there was a, a bond that had been formed on some level between Julie Olson, Mark Bold, uh, Jeannie Stewart, and Mark McCauley. So I thought that they had they had a closer relationship, a tighter relationship than that. So right. that's why I was surprised by this.
0: Yeah, and I would totally agree with that. I mean, you're absolutely right. Like like that's where the tension starts. Started, but uh, that is the only history of tension between these two parties that I've really seen. I think what surprised me is that it was a unanimous vote. Like, it kind of has me wondering, like, did, did Mark do something significant? Like, what changed in the last year or so?
2: Well, um, well Mark Bolt, he has said he told me that there was no scandal, there's no no huge incident that, that caused Mark McCauley to be terminated. And he actually in the in county employee newsletter that was sent out today, he reiterated that and said there was no one incident or no some big horrible something that happened that caused Mark McCauley to be ousted even if
1: that's true this seems like a very ham-fisted way to take your exec the executive director of the county out of his seat I mean just so so short notice so so, seems like almost so spur of the moment and um, you know if you don't like the guy it seems like if he didn't do anything terribly wrong, it seems like a more traditional approach would be let him ride out the end of his contract, and then go through a slower process of finding someone to appoint him. Right. At least keep someone at the helm until you can find someone else to drive the ship.
2: Right. No, I, I that that seemed kind of strange to me too. And when I asked that about asked Mark Bolt about that, he said it didn't. Um, he said it just what wouldn't be fair to staff. It wouldn't be fair to Mark McCauley to have him be a lame duck for six months, to not really be able to start anything, to not really have the authority of being um, a, a manager. That's that's going to be be staying on on for a longer expanse of time. It was the explanation for Mark Bolt.
0: Well and the the other thing that didn't he make some comments that they wanted somebody who was going to sort of like champion new ideas rather than just be a leader? Like what was the
2: uh, so Mark Bolt he told me that the they wanted a leader and not just a manager. They wanted somebody who had a, had more of a vision. And this is all very vague. I know that the one thing the count the county wants to do is have more collaboration and more uh, more con- consolidation of services to save costs for the county. Um, but but the, really, I reread the the charter, the parts about the county county manager that specifies his duties, and they're pretty specific. They're pretty nuts and bolts. They don't really say anything like he has to form this vision or go be proactive and form partnerships. No, with it's
0: pretty much a, just a managerial position was always my impression of it
2: yeah
1: that kind of that description he has it sounds like he's looking for a CEO of a tech startup right not for like somebody to run his like local government it It seems like like this it it should be the politicians who are the ones that create the vision and it's the it's the direction of the manager to implement it and execute it right but what do I know I'm not sitting on the county commission I guess, where do we go from here? Uh, who's, who's sitting in the chair and uh, what is the plan for finding this, the new great leader?
2: Well, right now, Deputy, Bob, uh, Deputy County Manager Bob Stevens is, has taken over as um, County Manager. Uh, they, I talked to Mark Bolt. He said that they will be finding an interim, and beyond that, they will do a, a search firm. He's not sure what the scope of the search will be, if it'll be local or it'll be national, but they are going to be looking for another um, County Manager, and we are going to be filing some records requests. Um, I mean, really, with, with, with all this, I think the council is probably getting legal advice that they ha- need to watch what they can say i mean just in fairness to them i'm pretty sure that that's what's going on and that's why they've been so tight-lipped about this um but the great thing about washington is we have a really great public records law and so we're going to be using it to find out what happened
0: yeah clark county has some pretty great public records officers so we'll yes they do see, see some some interesting things out of that out of that um records request that you're filing talk about mark mccauley severance package and what what the council will be on the or what the county's going to be on the hook for now to pay him out
2: Oh, so he's Mark McCauley. I mean, he's it's he got asked for the job, but he's if you're worried he's going to be, you're going to see him on the freeway asking for change. <laughs> you're really probably not. No. He's, <laughs> um, he pay. I think he he makes six figures. I believe it's one hundred sixty nine thousand dollars annually, and then the uh, severance package states that he gets six months of a uh, pay if he if the count, if the council should decide to terminate his contract, which they've done. Plus, they help. They're going to help him with medical.
0: So he essentially finishes out his contract, for, yep. for better or for worse. Without having to do anything. Pay. Yeah.
1: You've spoken with Mark, right? Or at least I know you at least spoke with him in the moments before, like the night before this big announcement came out.
2: Yeah, I talked to him then and I talked to him after, after the deed had been done. How's died. he feeling? What's he, he what was, did he say I mean, it was a very emotional that was the most emotional county council meeting I've ever been to, the one where he was dismissed. I mean that room was packed full of people It was very i mean the, just the, the affection for this man from county staff and other community members was palpable because he got a bunch of hugs like people lined up to hug yeah, him right there was a line of people to hug for to hug Macaulay line, and there was people were crying and he was upset really? about it, and people were man
1: that seems that suggests a very big gulf between the sentiments of
2: the commission and those of the people that were working under this guy. It's two different perspectives. Well, I think that um, during... I mean, this is—I don't think it's an easy decision for the council. I mean, during when they made the decision to oust him, they members of the council said repeatedly that they had all the respect they had for him and what a great guy he was and how they wish him well. So they peppered their comments with with those remarks. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and I, and I and I do like like if you go back and watch the hearing, it's on CBTV now. But if you watch Julie Olson, you can tell she was about to tear up.
1: How's Mark doing? How's he? Uh, what was his reaction to all this when you spoke with him? He
2: was sad. yes mark he was definitely tore up about this Hmm. without question he was um yeah he was definitely very emotional he did not um uh, he 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 seems he made some very some cryptic remarks on his end he said on a facebook post that he's deleted he called it a kangaroo court um when he was Hmm. dismissed he also seemed to suggest that there was some sort of character assassination Hmm. that somebody got to the council some very it sounded very game of thrones yeah um as Clark County is
1: want to be. So this is not going to be the last time you report on this situation. You got a bunch of records requests
2: in now. Unless these records requests come back and they are completely redacted or very um, uninteresting. Gotcha, you, gotcha. You. Yeah, this will be a this
1: will be a good opportunity for us to exercise our records law. But yes. Man, I mean, this is like (laughs) I feel like we're living in like some sort of uh, Hollywood sequel to for a movie. It's like just when you think think it's over, like a hand Mm -hmm. pops out of the grave and like the drama returns. All right. Thanks for coming in and uh, good luck and Godspeed. Thank you.
0: Alright, so we are sitting down once again with uh, Rachel Pinsky, the Colombian's new uh, food writer, um, not so new anymore. And she is going to talk to us a little bit about um, about an article that she's got in this Sunday's Colombian about uh, the best and worst pho in Vancouver. So uh, thanks for coming back on, Rachel.
3: Thank you for having me.
0: So uh, tell us a little bit about the article that you've got coming out on Sunday um, and what you did, what what your adventure was, your pho-venture.
3: It was quite an adventure. Um, I went to every place in Vancouver at the time. Oh, actually, Vancouver and Salmon Creek. We did Clark County, but it they were mostly concentrated in Vancouver, right. and then there was one in Salmon Creek. There were 13 places I went to over a series of... Over few months um and i assessed them and we put them kind of in the form of a map and then there's a star system where i assigned you know the best ones got a two star and the ones i thought were worth going to got one star
0: cool so um Let's, let's talk for the uninitiated. Let's talk a little bit about what pho is and and why it's so
3: amazing because pho is great. so It is great. Well, it's kind of like Vietnamese chicken soup if you get like a chicken pho. I guess to somebody that's not familiar with it, that's what I would say. It's, it's a big bowl of soup. You get like a nice aromatic broth that has all these herbs and spices. Um, and then rice noodles, although some have, you know, at some at pho places they have a variety of soups so you can get a wonton soup with egg noodle but traditionally what you get is a the traditional one is the beef broth that was the original one that was that originated in hanoi at the beginning of the 20th century so northern vietnam and um, it had a beef broth it had thin slices of beef and it had rice noodles and then maybe some onion or cilantro but pretty simple for the original soup i love pho when i'm sick that's when i want pho.
1: i also like it when i'm sick, but honestly i've i found that i like pho the most when i'm really hungover.
3: <laughs> i think, Not gonna it, I lie. think yeah. Not gonna lie. what kind do you like like a spicy one if you're hungover or
1: you know in general i like a really spicy one. yeah. totally and um but i tend to like the i like a lot of vegetables with my food, so i usually like to go like the heavy veggie pho route when i'm having it.
3: so a lot of garnishes or do you get like a no, veggie...
1: like rather than like you know, they always say like chicken, beef, tofu, or vegetables. I just get vegetables.
3: Oh, okay. So you yeah. do a veggie fun then you put a lot of like spicy stuff in it.
1: Yeah, exactly. That's my jam.
3: I always get the kind with
0: all the um, the byproducts in it. I love me some tripe and like some <laughs> some tongue and like all that that like fatty stuff. Oh, it's I so to, good. You know
3: what? I have to go out of my comfort zone and get into the tripe and the tongue. Like, don't
0: get me wrong. Like, some of it is, but some of the little bits are bet tastier than others. But like, man.
1: Well, hats off to you for doing that, because those are, like, the parts of the animal that we in the U.S. like don't like to eat are the ones that are the best for you. Mm-hmm. So, good on you. You're getting all your good vitamins and minerals. Yep. Anyway, so you went to a, a whopping 13 different pho restaurants around here. Are you, how do you feel about pho right now? Do you still want to eat it and you still think fondly on this dish, or do you care to never see pho again?
3: I have to say around restaurant number 10... I did suffer some fatigue,, you
1: know? oh, <laughs> yeah,
3: it's off. Don't get me started with the fu puns' because it just never there ends. Are so like, many. once I start, like it just takes over my brain, so
1: during this entire conversation, I've had to like keep a lid on my on myself to it's hard. stop from pulling out dozens of them
3: because most of them are not g rated no, no,
1: very <laughs> obscene,
3: but um I did you know, I still like it, and to be honest, there's a new. Vietnamese and Thai restaurant opening in downtown Vancouver that will not be included in the article because it's after it went to publication, but it's mm-hmm. called Nom Nom Restaurant Grill. It's right near Regal Cinema on C Street, mm. and it looks promising, and I thought I was done with pho because officially I don't have to eat it anymore, <laughs> <laughs> but I am curious. I have looked at the menu several times, and it does look promising, so we'll see.
1: So how did you figure out um, in the course of this reporting? How do you f- how did you figure out what made good pho? Like, what were the markers of like a good pho bowl of pho versus one that was like you know mediocre or not so good? Okay. How did you figure out the pecking Well, order? this is what
3: I did because I always when I am assessing some kind of food, I like to kind of educate myself about what I'm supposed to be experiencing. Now, I didn't get to go to Vietnam. Unfortunately, I didn't have the travel budget, maybe in the future, you know, as I become more expert at this. Mm -hmm. Um, So I kind of, I read about pho, I saw some, there's like a lot of very entertaining videos online about how to eat pho, and then there's a big debate because somebody posted, this one chef posted one, I think it was a chef from Philadelphia, and he posted one and then everyone was like that's not how you eat it And but anyway so I did some research
0: it's kind of like, like sushi in the US I think and I know there's definitely a right way to eat sushi but but uh, people are really um, the way that people eat pho they're real picky about the, the you know do I put the, the garnishes in do I put the sauces in do I just put them on the side like what do I do there's so. a lot of
3: controversy I'm not stepping into it because yeah. you know what I, I'm not an authority I am just one woman who took on the pho and vancouver and in clark county but i am not going to tell anyone how to eat it i'm not going to explain i mean if you're interested you can go online anyway i'm sorry continue but i think really to me the big thing is the broth i think the broth is very important um so the first thing i kind of assess is how good is the broth i kind of smell it's it's got a smell there's a lot of um things that have sense to them and then you kind of taste it and you kind of savor it before I put anything in it I just kind of taste the broth and see how it is and then and the other components are the noodles see if they're like gummy or if they're good I mean we don't really I don't think there's any place here that makes their own noodles so we don't have that kind of situation but there are good quality dry noodles and there is a way to boil them correctly or incorrectly and then the final thing is tasting the protein and seeing is it does it taste good? Is it chewy? Does it taste like uh, good quality? Was it cooked properly? That kind of
1: thing. I'd love to know the highs and lows of your pho adventure. Like was there any particular dish where you can remember like oh this one thing in this bowl right now is just so weird that it's throwing this off or was there one where you're like holy crap this fill in the blank thing is really tying this all together
3: okay there were so many highs and <laughs> lows on this journey I'm telling you um I mean there's such a variety in terms of your experience um eating pho here there are some places that you have this soup in front of you and you're just like, I hope this never ends. I mean, mm-hmm. it's the perfect bowl of soup. The broth smells so good. tastes good. Everything's perfect. And it's just one of those experiences where you sit in your chair and you're like, I hope this never ends. Like, I don't want to leave this moment. And then there's there are experiences that you're looking for the bathroom. You're like, oh. I hope I don't get sick. And then um, I've had broth that kind of tasted... Like it took me a while. I'm like, this smells like something familiar, and I'm like, oh, mop water.
0: Talk about some of the families that own these places, um, and and it looked like you had some kind of like interesting personal stories that you featured in the.
3: I did. Well, one of the places is Photon, which is, off, I mean, they're all off Mill Plain, right? <laughs> but, right, Mill Plain, Fourth Plane. It's owned by the, um, let me, uh, the Sirajahrot Syru- family, um, and I spoke to the son. Um, apparently, the dad makes the soup and the mom does all the stir fries. Cool. And um, it was really a cute interview because I was asking, I was trying to get it like, what is it that makes? Because I think their soup's really good, mm-hmm. and I was trying to get it like, is there something that is done? I mean, it's cooked for a very long time. I think it's like a 14 hour, and it's made with the best ingredients. But he said that his dad makes it with love. He Aww. said that like every, that it's very important to him that every. Um, Every pot of stock is of broth is just right, and he won't serve it unless it's something he would eat. And I just thought that was really nice. The other kind of interesting conversation I had, because okay, so I'm trying to figure out why is there so much pho here. So one thing that um, Vince Sierat told me was that there is there's not a huge population of Vietnamese Americans or Vietnamese um, immigrants in. Vancouver, really, but Portland has a large population. So a lot Mm -hmm. of the families in Portland open restaurants here because...
0: Real estate's cheaper.
3: I I don't know. I think they just know that people... It does well. It's a successful venture here. Mm -hmm. People like pho. Yeah. Um, I also think the weather plays into it. I mean, this just seems like the perfect... So I had a conversation with um Kevin Boo, who's one of the owners of Fug Green Papaya, and um I was saying, you know, do you think it's the weather? And he was he it was an overcast day when I was in there mm-hmm. and he said on a day like today, it's very busy. If it's sunny, it's not that busy. So I think there's like a I mean, everything here is so weather based. But yeah. I think like a lot of the time the overcast days are really good days to eat pho. I think any day is a good day to eat pho, but I think it encourages... People just want, like, a nice, hot bowl of soup, It's and it's very filling, and it's reasonably priced. You know, I think it's just a perfect dish for Vancouver.
1: hmm It's really interesting, interesting to me to hear that guy say that, because, you know, I feel like the... Uh, just sort of the... I want to say the institutional knowledge, but that's not the right term. But it's just like the assumption is, is that when the weather's nice, people want to go out to a restaurant and eat and like get like you know the sunshine from the nice windows. Restaurants do better when the weather's nice because people are out. And these guys sound like it's the total opposite experience for them, which I get. Like on a cloudy, crappy day, what feels better than a belly full of warm, awesome soup?
3: Exactly. It's probably why
1: chowder does so well in the Pacific Northwest, too.
3: Exactly. It's brilliant, right? I mean, yeah. it's like, okay, those I know people around here like to build those decks and those outdoor areas for the few months of sun that we yeah, have. But like, for like three and pho. a half
1: weeks, you get to use it. <laughs>
3: but a pho restaurant, no, that's, that's brilliant. Because yeah. like most of the time, it's good pho weather.
1: Yeah, you got to just sell raincoats and like a mug of pho never be out of business
3: i swear i think that's like the best way to make it through kind of the winter and fall and all the uh-huh. rainy days is just nice big bowl of pho
1: so let's say on the whole is vancouver's pho seen a good one is it a is it a good delicious pho market out there
3: i think there's a lot of good places
1: yeah
3: um i haven't done a one day maybe I will be a global pho expert (laughs) (laughs) and go to every city. um, Uh, I uh, haven't explored any other city quite as closely as I have the pho here but I think there are some places that are very good and I think the good places if you interview the people making the soup you kind of get a sense why because there's a lot of care put into it.
1: So what does good pho need? It
3: needs good broth. You need Good, um, good quality. I mean, it's a bone broth, right? So you need good quality bones. You probably should have a good relationship with a butcher. Um, you need the herbal stuff. You have to have good spices. There's such. Um, there's kind of okay. So the first layer of flavor is kind of the. You know, you have the garlic. You have the ginger. You have that kind of crushed spice that you kind of. I mean, herb, fresh herb. That you kind of saute yeah, in there. All those aromatics that you get in. Right. And then the second layer are kind of dried spices. And there's a variety of things that are. There's all kinds of. There's like star anise, right? Star mm. anise, cardamom, cinnamon, clove, coriander seed, fennel seed, all pepper. Pepper, kind of sweet, yummy stuff. All. I mean, and qual- spice quality varies. You know, there's like spice that's been sitting there forever. There's fresher spices. Old um, spice. There's old yeah. spice. <laughs> I wouldn't put that in the yeah. soup <laughs> that would not it probably no, tastes that as maybe, good as it that's smells. maybe
0: some of the issues that
1: you have though at uh, some of the grocery places
3: <laughs> the broth is so complicated so you have the the the
1: if, if i'm hearing herbs. you right it sounds like the broth really is the most if, if you get the broth right almost all else can be forgiven
3: i think the rest of it's not that complicated you know because okay so typically you have dry rice noodles the spicy beef has more of a um thick noodle than mm-hmm. the thin noodle And then you have thin slices of meat. Now, the meat is just kind of thrown in the hot broth and cooked quickly. And it's not – I don't think it's, like, super high – you know, it's not, like, prime rib. It's not filet mignon. It's, like –
1: That's one reason why I almost never get meat in my – I never get beef pho because I'm always just disappointed at this, like, soggy, super chewy, like, paper-thin slice of meat. It's like,
3: Well, I think that's kind of what it's supposed to be. It's, like, a – it's just supposed to – it's not supposed to be – Fancy, it has to be meaty and chewy, and it has to cook, and it's sliced thin and cooked in a broth. I
0: think you're picking the wrong meat in your pho.
3: It's not my experience with pho.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, hearing you you describe like the tripe and things like that, that I would consider, Mm -hmm. which is something that's a lot like, you know, naturally sort of a softer, I think a texture that goes much better with it. Because if you're eating something with chopsticks, it's so hard to like rip off a, a chunk of meat. So, anyway, I digress on my experiences with thinly sliced beef and soup. <laughs>
3: well, the meat is, I mean, there aren't that many components to this. And then, okay, so then the broth, so you have the broth, you have it made, and then there's kind of, after it's made, there's kind of the tinkering with it, which you do with all cooking. You have the soup, you, some, um broths put in like some sugar some rock sugar um and then there's the fish sauce component of the broth and then there's salt so you got to mix the salty and the sweet and you have to have the right combination so there isn't just this like like a robot couldn't make good pho because there has to be a point after the broth is made even if you do a good broth the seasoning at the end is really like with any other thing, it's mm. very important that it's tinkered with right at the end so that it's properly balanced.
1: Mm. So speaking of tinkering, um, when you guys get pho, are you throwing in all those sides of like, are you squeezing lime in it and throwing a bunch of bean sprouts and cilantro and what have you in there? Does that happen?
3: Well, I do like a little, I, okay, I like to taste it without anything first to just kind of see what we're dealing with. That's my
0: strategy to see what I want, what I need from it.
3: I usually like a little lime. A little spice maybe um but i don't like putting and i do like a little bit of basil or a little you know a little bit of fresher but i don't like to get too crazy with it i don't like to overly garnish it what do you guys do i get pretty crazy i put in a <laughs> lot of
0: basil a lot of cilantro um some of the chili paste, uh, maybe some hoisin. I, I, if it's good pho broth, I don't need a lot of hoisin if any. Um, and I always put a lot of, I like things really acidy. So I always put a lot of lime in my pho.
1: Yeah. I think I'm just about the same way. Um, I definitely taste it first and know beforehand. And then I'll usually say to myself like, Oh, that's good. It's going to be even better with like a pound and a half of bean sprouts and basil in it too. (laughs) (laughs) Parting philosophical rants, uh, anything you want to contribute before we sign out?
3: Oh, there was something I forgot to mention. So the oh, fun app, time. the way the article set up, it's supposed to be interactive. We want, um, if you do hashtag Van Fun Map uh-huh. in your Instagram pictures and everything, the Colombian will repost good photos. Oh, cool. And, you know, so I did cover everywhere. So... The photos will be something that was included, but if you take a good pho picture, the we,
0: photos,
3: the photos. <laughs> <laughs> but if you take a good photo, um, hashtag it Van Map, and we'll look at them, and you might have it reposted. Nice, cool. Well, thanks for coming on, Rachel. Thank you. It was great being here.
0: All right. So it's uh, time to hear what's going on with Ashley and what's what's the weekend got for well, us this week? Well,
4: first, it's got sun in the forecast, yeah, which does. is amazing. Um, and then it's got kind of two big annual community events this weekend. We're talking Dozer Days and the Hazel Parade of Bands. Oh, man. Yeah. So, Dozer Days, I mean, it's been around, I think, almost, I think nine years, and they already have raised over a million dollars for different charities, which is crazy cool. Um, And if you don't know what Dozer Days is, uh, it is basically, they turn, um, they make a giant sandbox out of real-life construction equipment for kids. So, if you want to, if your eight-year-old's really into Tonka trucks, they can go, and play on diggers, dump trucks, uh, climb giant tires, and actually control some of the construction equipment machines um, at the fairgrounds. And that's both Saturday and Sunday from 11 to 4. Um, Tickets are about uh, 10 to 13 for adults, 8 to 11 for for children, and always bring $6 for parking at the fairgrounds. Can can I go and use the, or is it just for kids? It's just for kids. (sighs) But the photos are really
1: adorable. Dude, I'm with you. I think if they open that up to adults, hipsters in Portland would be flocking to the fairgrounds for dozers. I would go there.
4: Yeah, it's mesmerizing just to watch something dig a hole and then drop the dirt and dig a hole and drop the dirt. Tell us about the Parade of Bands. Oh, yeah. So it's the 53rd annual Hazeldale Parade of Bands. And it's always kind of a a 50-50 guess, whether it'll be a rainy parade or a sunny parade. So it looks like we're leaning towards a sunny community parade. About uh, 29 uh, high school and middle school bands will participate, plus uh, hundreds of different community groups and um, organizations. And they basically... Um, start, it starts right at 1030 a.m. on Saturday, and it just goes um, through through the Hazeldale neighborhood. So it goes kind of from uh, the Fire District 6 station, uh, goes down 78th, crosses over to Hazeldale, goes up um, 99. And it's just a really fun festive time. Like, it's a great community event. Um, Alicia Cooper, Miss Washington, will be the Grand Marshal this year. Um, it's The theme is Follow Your Dreams, so there should be some <laughs> Follow Your Dreams floats happening so cool what Mm -hmm. else going on um well there's also uh another kid related thing is the uh, woodland uh, moose lodge is hosting a kids fishing derby at horseshoe lake um so if and what's cool is like it's there it's kind of they're doing a little competition on what you catch so like catch some fish um if it's a big enough fish you'll win maybe a bicycle um so it's for for kids kind of um 14 and younger to kind of get used to fishing and it's uh, I think $3 to participate and that's from like 8 to 2 on Saturday. Cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I don't know if you've heard about uh, the Bark Ranger happening. No. I can uh, tell. <laughs> so at uh, 4 uh, Vancouver National Historic Site. They're kind of digging into the history of canines at the
1: fort. Does this have something to do with that story Tom Vogt had in the paper the other day? Oh yeah. Oh, all right. Yeah. Go on. Go so, on. So
4: uh, basically, it's a walking tour of the the fort grounds with you and your dog. And so the the rangers will tell you about um, history of dogs at the fort and at the uh, Vancouver Barracks, along with telling you like how to you know. Get your dog ready to be on the national site and with safety things and all that kind of stuff So if your dogs people friendly and dog friendly bring them down at 9 a.m Outside the Pearson Air Museum and you can go on a fun history canine tour There will also be on Sunday the if you need more dogs in your life the uh, I do the Portland pug crawl Portland Pug Crawl. What is that? <laughs> what is that? So the Oregon Humane Society puts on basically a pug parade um, on oh. Sunday from uh, noon to 4 p.m. And every year it's a different theme that the pugs dress up for. This year it's uh, Pugs on Broadway. So, yes, I, I so hope it be like some Hamill Pugs. I hope some... so. <laughs> I, I, Aaron Burr with a little like paper shotgun <laughs> or paper gun, yeah. Um and so what's great is all the proceeds go to the Humane Society. It takes place at the uh Portland Brewing Company outside there. Admission for people is about ten to fifteen dollars and it's free for ten and under. So it's definitely a family oriented event. Cool. And it's definitely you take your camera, you take your smartphone, you just take a lot of pictures of cute pugs.
1: So you just bring your pug and walk from one bar to the next?
4: No, what it's just it's mean? kind of just a parade outside. Oh, it's like, not
1: like a like, pub crawl. No, it's, it's not a,
4: a pub it's a crawl. For it's pugs. Yeah, it's a showcase. Got
1: you. Got you. Who would want to show off your pug? Yeah. If I had a nice pug, I'd want to strut around town with him. Mm-hmm. Sounds like a great idea.
4: <laughs> Definitely. Um, and then uh, there's also uh, the last, or no, not the last, excuse me. <clears throat> There's also the Vancouver Symphony Orchestra does its chamber music series at the Kiggins on Sunday. And this one is a very popular one This uh, on Sunday. It will be a um, screening of the silent film City Girl. And they're going. They have um, a local composer called John Paul. He's created an original score to go with the silent film. And then you'll have four musicians from the symphony performing about City
1: Girl. Yes, you do. Yes. So give me the details. I've never heard of this.
4: It's it's a um, classic silent film from 1930. It was shot entirely in Oregon, but it's supposed to be set in Chicago and Illinois. Um, It's about a waitress um, who kind of falls in love with a farmer, and then he's not. Really comfortable with the city. So she goes back with him to kind of learn at the f- how to be a farm person. Is this
1: like a comedy or is it like a? it's
4: a, it's a bit of a mix of both and it's it, got
1: the fish out of water thing.
4: Right. And it's it. and it's by a, a German director who's actually pretty famous for for um, a couple of his other films and some of his silent films have been lost to to the world. Um, as well so it's 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 a very interesting has a lot of ups and downs um, the father and the family of the farmer disapprove of this city girl coming in so shocking right mm. um, so it's supposed to be a really interesting movie and last year when they did a silent film screening plus original music a lot of people really enjoyed it it's a uh, 25 for adults uh, 10 for students or kids um, so definitely get pick up tickets now because i think it'll sell
1: out Have yeah. you got any like midweek teasers for us uh, midweek things we should do well, there's
4: there's some things, but I think they they might um, the tickets might be scarce. They're both happening at the Kiggins. One is um, Van Talks, which is on Wednesday. It's a Vancouver version of like TED Talks. So you have oh. a bunch of different like community leaders, artists, kind of talking about different topics and subjects to kind of inspire and ask interesting questions. Awesome. And then I I found out that there's a new um, storytelling group in town. Um, They're called Roar, and it's all uh, female storytellers. And they're doing a storytelling show on Thursday about mothers and motherhood. So they'll tell a bunch of different interesting aspects of that. I think there's about six people and storytellers involved. Hmm. And both of those are at the Kiggins, so you can definitely check out the website and find tickets for that.
1: God, that place is a hub of good stuff in town. It's true. Thanks for giving us all those good suggestions.
4: Yeah, enjoy the sunshine this weekend. All right, that's our show.
1: That is a wrap. So, um, man, the the drama of Clark County politics is never ending. No, just when you think that they have put out the fire, the embers of drama have like ignited again. I know, and just made stuff crazy.
0: Yeah, no, that was pretty crazy last week. Um...
1: It's very interesting to wrap my head around this because here is obvious. Here is a county that is very. Uh, or I should say like a government very new to this form of governance and clearly not comfortable with this style of governance yet, even though it is what the voters asked There's for. There's
0: definitely some hiccups for sure in in getting the charter in place. And, no um, doubt. The, you know what was interesting? I end up, um, attending Tuesday's council council meeting because um, Jake was was he off was work out. that day. He was out yeah. out that day, and um, and it was pretty quiet, um, which kind of surprised me. Um, mm-hmm. But there were a couple of folks who got up and commented on um, on the uh, dismissal of of Mark McCauley. Um, well, one you of them said
1: one lady had dis- thought it would be a good idea to make the city manager an elected position. Yeah, right? so
0: Liz Campbell, uh, who is a frequent commenter at the county board. She's an active member of the local Democratic Party. And um, she said that she believes that the uh, that the county manager position should be an
1: elected position. Huh.
0: Which is an interesting idea, but there's a lot of
1: interesting ideas in this world. Yeah, I don't know if that's a good idea
0: Well, I mean can you imagine that being a political but I mean the whole point of that position is that it's sort of neutral It's a neutral it's a check and a balance to the council so to have that to add a layer of politics to that
1: I personally think it's a terrible idea Yeah, but I think it's so interesting about this is like yes This is one of only a handful of counties that are operated with this style of governance but there are a number of cities there are a ton of cities that are operated this way and things run just fine right like totally. you don't see this clamor at the city of Vancouver no you don't and like they have a city manager yeah they've been appointed city manager um, I'm not saying that he, I'm not I have no opinion on whether he should have or should not have been removed for office um, but honestly I think that this is a much more intelligent way to run a city government you have somebody who is specialized in running and administrating a government. Right. And then you know, you then you have a board who basically says, Hey, you're doing a great job or hey, you screwed up or hey, we have ideas, implement them or tell right. us if they'll work. Right. That seems really rational to me. Yeah. But I guess you could also say that I'm just the kind of guy that likes a bureaucrat.
0: Yeah. Um, the, the, you know, it's interesting about this. So, this uh, uh, suggestion that Liz Campbell made um, has kind of prompted some conversation in um, Clark County Citizens for Good Governance, that Facebook group. Um, yeah. Which is, has been like, a, <laughs> that is Gadfly City. Oh, Good total Lord. Gadfly City. Yeah. Um, and that, that group has been pretty, um, I mean, it's been active since David Medora and Tom Milkey left office.
1: But not nearly but as not so nearly, as when they were there. Yeah.
0: So, um, so was, been,
1: that went from being a hornet's nest to just like a whatever it is when flies don't fly around so nice much. Nice bees.
0: Like, yeah. Like, like, it the, like honeybees. yeah. It went from honeybees. from Hornets to honeybees. So it's like, like a pleasant pretty, hive. Yeah. 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 Um, Nan Henriksen, who was the chair of the freeholders that developed the um, developed the county charter, um, she, she agreed that it should not be a, an elected No, position, that's such a bad so. idea.
1: What do you think of that argument, though, where people are saying that by creating a government this way, you're essentially taking the government out of the hands of the people and then putting the government into the hands of bureaucrats and strengthening the government's position? You know,
0: at the end of the day, the county manager position is a is an appointed position by the council. It is a it's a. a, yes is it a step removed from being a direct representative to people and to citizens sure but at the end of the day we vote for for counselors who we assume will take their values in appointing a county manager totally. so so the concept of the county manager is not a representative of the citizens and is not reflective of the values the citizens voted mm-hmm. in mind with is is
1: bogus mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i hear you on that um Man, if there is one thing I've seen from covering dysfunctional counties, and I'm sure you have seen as well, is that just because you are smart enough and charismatic enough to get elected to office does not mean you are smart enough to actually administer and run a, a a government that has people on payrolls and people that are in charge of like getting making sure the streets are paved and making sure like the plumbing system right. works.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, can you imagine the kind of political wackos you would have running for that position? I mean, you would have you would have all kinds of fringe candidates
1: running for yeah. County I mean, manager. whether or not they would make it in is one thing. Right. But. I yeah I mean so long as in my humble opinion so long as a a government governing body of elected officials maintains very strong control over the people that they appoint that they hire to run the county government I'm comfortable with that. In fact, I think I prefer it because then I at least know like this person is trained in administering something like this.
0: Well, and the thing is, is that you never, well, and and maybe you do, but I certainly don't. We never hear about, um, you know, people never get mad at Eric Holmes. Like, people never. He seems to be doing just fine. Yeah. Like, people never throw a fit about what Eric Holmes' role is at the city and that somehow no. that we've got a bureaucrat in charge of the city that's taking representation away from the people or whatever. That is, that, that argument Um, And that whole concern over about Mark McCauley and and what Mark McCauley's job has been that people who don't didn't support the charter have have pulled out um, in in Mm -hmm. the last couple of years. It's only because of the political environment at the county. It's only because of this. Very this this history of division that we've had at of, of political divisiveness that we've had at the
1: county. Totally. So. And man, I have to say it like boo to those people who want to like politicize this whole uh, this level of governance further. Yeah, that is the last thing this place needs. I right. really think that we need to put away all this partisan nonsense and just get back to operating like a functional government where people feel good about going to work.
0: Right, right. That's um, just my opinion. Yeah. So. Um, I, I think that the, uh, I think there is some valid conversation to be had in if there is going to be changes made to the charter at some point, I think the most valid conversation to have there is in, t- is in making those positions nonpartisan positions. Yeah, agreed,
1: agreed. I think, I really think that partisanship has crept way too far into uh into the into our government at all levels
0: right right because what you end up with is you end up with people who vote for a county counselor based on the r or the d next to their yeah, name exactly. not based on whether or not they're competent enough to make exactly. sure the potholes get filled the cities get the the county gets planned
1: and mm-hmm. and i mean i almost don't even think that city councilmen should be r or a d then they aren't i really don't think so and they aren't here right I know they're not but I'm saying just in general they shouldn't yeah um, i yeah I I almost think that whole the I almost think partisanship should be left at the state level and the federal level mm-hmm. and go no further down the poll so I mean tell us what you think you guys if you think we are idiots and that this should be a political position I would love to hear your arguments. I bet you there are some good ones out there. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah.
0: Um y- if you want to contact us, you can email Damien or myself directly, or you can email us at podcast at Columbian.com. And you can find Clark Talks uh posted on the Columbians webpage every Thursday. And you can also find it on SoundCloud, Stitcher, and iTunes.
1: Yep. See you next week. See you later.